Welcome to the Discover Church Podcast. We are a Christian faith community based out of Denver, Colorado. Join us this week as we bring our uncertainties to an unchanging God. If you have any questions about the sermon, please feel free to send them in. You can email them to us at hello at discoverdenver.church. We are, um, this whole entire series of I Love My Church has been, this is how I would explain it. If you've ever seen Property Brothers or any HDTV show or anything like that, and, and it opens up with them saying, here's the budget, here's what we want to get and all this stuff. And then, and then at the end, they show you the beautiful home that was built. This is how I feel as, I've, as we come out of this series. As I feel going into it, I was going, I love my church. It's like, like I, I, I see the building, and I see the people, and, I see, and I'm excited and all stuff, and what we could be, and all this. And then in the middle, God's been doing something to my soul, where in the middle of these shows, they'll pull back the wall, and they'll say, oh, I have bad news your budget's got to go up. There's termites, right? But they always figure out a way to make it so that they have an awesome house for the same price. But you pull back the wall, and this is what's been happening in these messages for me. I just want you to know that. That as I've been studying Scripture and what does the, what does the Bible say about church, not what, does, what do people say about church, what does the Bible say about church, it's pulling these things back and going, hey, in your own soul, here's where the termites are and here's where the wood's gotten rotten. And that the the carpenter, Christ himself, is saying, but I build. <laughs> I continue to build it's something beautiful. And I think that this is a great way to come out of this series, to talk about I love my church as a hospital, as a hospital. I'm going to have a song played that some of you may know. If you don't know the song, you should probably pretend like you do because it's a really famous one. Um, but I'll just play it, and you'll, you'll probably recognize it. Can you go ahead and play that song real quick? Eleanor, it's by the Beatles, if you're wondering. If you're going, well, who actually wrote it? It's by the Beatles. And I'm really glad that you're here, but you should really learn some Beatles songs if you don't know this song. This song, though, this song is so important for us to recognize what was happening, what continues to happen, that when you have a group like the Beatles that are making this proclamation that has to do with the church, has to do with people in the church, has to do with the views of the church, maybe reasons why people can't say, I love the church, um, that's, that's a big deal. It's not just a song that they wrote when they were high. It's like a, it's, there's profound implications to Eleanor Rigby. It says, Father McKenzie, writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear, no one comes near. Look at him working, darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. What does he care? All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? And then it says, Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father McKenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? All the lonely people, where do they come from and where do they belong? That's the question. Where do we belong? Because I'll be the first to tell you, I know what it's like to feel lonely. I know what it's like to be in a room full of people like this. And we said, we merged two great churches and we become one church. And you're like, there's more people than there's ever been. But I feel alone. Where do we all belong? That's the question. The question is now, why, why are there sermons being written? Why is the church continuing to do church things? And why are people continuing to feel lonely? 
Why are there people dying? And even if they're not dying, why are there people whose spirits are withering away and nobody's coming to their rescue? Eleanor Rigby proclaims something that's really important for us to think through. Where do they all belong? Where do they all belong? When I grew up in the church, I thought the church was a whole lot of different things. And, and then I realized, no, the, the church, the church is a hospital. It is a hospital for people. And, and here's, here's what was really influential to me. I, I read a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. If you've never read it, I, I would recommend it. I think that it's a wonderful book. But here's the thing. I don't have any more copies of the Ragamuffin Gospel because when I, uh, Lisa's laughing, because I, I bought a bunch of copies and then I just gave them away and gave them away and then she bought me because then I'm like, oh, I don't, I want to read it again. I, I like to read through it every year. I said, I want to read it again, but I don't have any more copies left. So she bought me a nice hardback copy of the Ragamuffin Gospel. And she said, you're not going to give this away, are you? And I said, no, this is my book. I felt like a five-year-old. This is, mommy bought this for me. This is my book. And then she goes, okay, don't give it away. And I'm not kidding. That day, for real, that day, I was talking to someone who was cutting my hair, and I said, they said, I, I just think that the gospel is so legalistic, turns people off, and I go, oh, I have this book. <laughs> and they said, they said, oh, yeah, what book? And I said, it's the ragamuffin gospel. I got an extra copy in here. So I, I have zero copies left. I'm just not allowed to buy a copy. But here's a quote from it that's really amazing and and gets to what it means. What does it mean when we say the church is a hospital? This counters Eleanor Rigby. This is a new proclamation that I hope by the end of tonight we actually start to live by. This is what it says about the gospel. It is not for legalists who would rather surrender control of their souls to rules rather than run the risk of living in union with Jesus. The ragamuffin gospel was written for the beat up, the burnt out. It's for the wobbly and weak need who know that they don't have it all together and who, are, uh, and who are too proud to accept the handout of amazing grace. It's for the poor, weak, sinful men and women with faults and limited talents. It's for the bent and the bruised who feel that their lives are a grace disappointment to God. It is for anyone who has grown weary and discouraged along the way. This is what the gospel is for. This is what the church is for. Anyone who's grown discouraged along the way. So if you sit here and you're discouraged and your secret self is not lining up with your public self because your secret self is beaten up, and you just don't want people to know about that, it would be amazing, wouldn't it, if hospitals, imagine this, if hospitals, um, I mean, amazingly weird, if hospitals like had the doctors tell them, I don't, I don't want you to really talk about what's wrong. I don't want you to scream if you're in pain. I don't want you to talk about the level of pain that you're in. We'll get you worked on, but there's ways that we go about it. If you walked into a hospital and that happened, you would actually say the hospital's not for the bruised. It's not for the beaten. It's not for the people who don't have it all together. A hospital's this weird thing. And that's what I thought the church was. I thought it was for the people who try, who try to have it all together and have to put on a facade and that the pastor would say, hey, I, well, that's like really bad. There's levels of bad and that's really bad. So we're just going to have to send you away for a little bit. I thought that was the case. In fact, I was talking to a really good friend of mine today who was abused growing up and um, not a lot of people know about this in his life. And I said, hey, I really want you to talk to someone about this. I'm far away. 
but I can even help. I can go there and we can sit down and talk to someone. And this is what he said. He said, I'm going to talk to someone about this, but there's this pastor that I've kind of gotten to know in the community. I would love to talk to him about it. I cannot talk to anybody from our church about it. So as long as they don't go to our church, I'm okay. Isn't that strange? Doesn't that feel awkward? And yet at the same time, it feels like it fits our stories that we go, I can talk to someone outside of the faith community about what I'm going through and what I've gone through and what's, what's really beating me up inside. But when it comes to talking to people inside the faith community, and there's reasons why that happens. And this scripture ruins all those reasons. In fact, this scripture declares that Jesus is a place for people who are beaten and broken, that Jesus is the embodiment of grace. And if we are the expression of Jesus in the community, then we do this. This is what it declares. In fact, this, this scripture, if you are at all resistant towards the church being a hospital, if you're at all resistant towards the church being a place of authenticity where people say, I don't have it all together. You walk in and how, how was your weekend? It was the worst. It was really bad. If you're resistant towards that, so are the people Jesus was talking to. And if you're longing for that, if you're saying, I, I wish with everything in me that I could cry with the people I sit next to. I wish I could call them when I needed help, and I wish I didn't look needy, and I wish I don't have it all together, and my Instagram is so fake. And, and if that's you, this, those are the people that Jesus told the story for. So let's read this story. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Okay? So lawyers have always been putting people to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, here's what's interesting. This is the moment, if you grew up in more of a fundamentalist church environment, you would go, I got the answer, okay? I got the prayer. I got Romans Road set out for you. If you go, what's Romans Road? Good for you. Well, okay, there's a better way into the kingdom other than Romans Road. But there's this whole, this whole thing um, that we say when someone says, what must I do to have eternal life? We have formulas, and Jesus actually has questions to surface the person, okay? He's surfacing the real person, the authentic person. He is the hospital, and this is what he's doing. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this, and you will live which is so strange. It's almost as if Jesus knew this wasn't over, and this guy thinks he has it down. And he said, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Which from that question, we now get a parable, okay? Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, not with the person with the address that goes up one number, okay, or the person with the address that goes down one number. He didn't say it's the child in Africa, and he didn't say your neighbor is first your family and then your friend. He didn't say that. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, who are you willing to be neighborly to by way of recognizing you can help them and they need help, and you yourself are broken. So he says this whole parable to get them here. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So I want you to imagine a road you can't really um, get away from. It's not like you can, this road was very narrow. It's not like you can actually say, I didn't see the guy, okay? Like you can be driving on I-25 and claim, I didn't see the car broken down. Even that's difficult not to see. 
But then you get into Highland Square and you're driving down Highland Square, it's so crowded. If there's someone beaten, you're like, you can't really ignore the guy. It's even more narrow. It's probably like a one lane. It's even more narrow. And then he said, and now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He didn't switch sidewalks. He like, he had to kind of almost walk over the person. He passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And these are religious people. And a Samaritan in this time was someone who was not regarded as close to God, who was regarded as outside. So people had this mindset, you got to get inside, everyone's outside. And Jesus kind of flips it and says, a Samaritan, a Samaritan. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Let's keep reading. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, the person who's not religious, who has a reputation for not being close to God, who, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when you come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Which I think is like the, it's like if you answered, if you go to the Levite, you're just an idiot. If you say, the priest, you weren't listening. There's only one choice here, okay? And he doesn't even say the Samaritan. He says, that the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Piper's been um, playing this game, Guess Who? I don't know if you ever played that game, where there's like a whole bunch of faces, and then you have a cartoon face, and then they have a whole bunch of faces on their board, and they're all sticking up, and you have to say, okay, are you a boy or a girl? Are you I'm sorry, you can only ask yes or no questions. Are you a boy? And she says, no. So then I knock down all the boys, right? And so then all the girls, and then she goes, do you have glasses? I do in real life, but no, not on this one. And then she knocks down all those. And then she asks real funny questions, and somehow she always beats me. She guesses the actual, the actual person. So I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But she has all these people up, and she's like, are you Bobby? Yes, I'm Bobby. I don't know how she knows. This is guess who? We've been playing this at the house. And I feel like, I feel like with the Scripture, with this passage, what was actually taking place is that it says the lawyer's trying to trap him. And he kind of wants to justify himself. And then Jesus, it's like these guess who, there's only like three guess who. <laughs> there's three characters up. And he says, which one? Which one? He goes, the one who showed mercy. Okay, we'll go and do likewise. And Jesus is showing something that, like, I, I think we've read this parable wrong in the past. I think we, we read it and we go, we are the good Samaritan. We are the good Samaritan. And I want to start there. Because Jesus is showing us something incredibly profound about the church. The church is a hospital. Because the church is the expression of Jesus Christ here on earth. And the church is a hospital. And, th and this is the question I would ask myself. Who is the Good Samaritan? Who is the Good Samaritan? When you're reading this story, do you say, well, I, I mean, I handed out food the other day. Right? I'm the Good Samaritan. Who's the Good Samaritan in the story? 
In fact, we read scripture a lot where we go, I can be the hero like the hero in text. Like we'll read David and Goliath and we'll say, I can be like David. I can be David, okay? I, I have the ministry of giant killing, whatever that means, right? And, uh, and, the, and then we, we go to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and we realize, no, these are all foreshadows of Christ. These are all foreshadows of Christ pointing us to, like, we're the Israelites hiding in the corner saying, help, help, and Jesus is the one who takes down the enemy. And we see the main characters, the main heroes in in the scriptures are foreshadowing Jesus. And here, who is the good Samaritan? And as much as we want to say, I'm the good Samaritan, I'll do better, okay? So I'll, I'll, I'll be better. I'll take care of the people on the side of the road. You'll be like the good Samaritan, But the Good Samaritan is Christ. The Good Samaritan is Jesus, which would then tell me we should be operating as a body like the Good Samaritan. We should be a hospital. The Good Samaritan is Jesus, and I want to tell you one of the quickest ways that you can realize you are not the Good Samaritan. If you've ever sat down with people who are broken, or with yourself, so let's start with us before we say, my wife or my husband needs to hear this message. Let's start with us, okay? You, as a broken individual, have you ever tried to fix yourself? Have you ever tried to be the good Samaritan to yourself and like bind up your own wounds and pour oil on yourself? I don't know, maybe you did and it was a weird day for you. <laughs> have you ever tried to spiritually bring yourself back together and you're fragmented and you're broken and the reason that didn't work, the reason you know that didn't work is because you're still broken, right? All, there's so many things about self-help and how you can be your own God and you can do this on your, on your own. What I'm telling you is you're not the good Samaritan. You can't do this on your own. Even in our own lives, we, we as ourselves, we cannot put ourselves back together. It is absolutely impossible to do that. Um, in, my, in my family, there have been moments where we sit down with each other and we are experiencing profound brokenness. And we sit down and we weep with each other and we look at each other and say, what do we do in this moment? And no one knows what to do. And my dad said something recently that made me realize that this is true, that we actually cannot take on the ministry of saying we are this. Now we can be likewise, we can do likewise, which we should as a church. This is what he said. His dad died when he was six or seven years old. And he told me recently, he said, I wish I had a dad to go to to ask what to do. And what we know in Scripture is that there's a good father who shares the same ministry because they're one God. And the good father ministers to us in this way. And we recognize in our brokenness I wish we had someone else to do this because I can't do this on my own. If you're sitting there and you're lonely and you know what breaks you, you know the things in secret that break you, you know the, the shame and the guilt, you know what that feels like. You know trying to act like you have it all together but feeling the pressure of everyone leaning on you. You know what it is to tell people, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and then, and then it falls apart because the pressure, like you know what that is to be broken. And you know what it is to try to put yourself back together, and it doesn't work. And the point of the story is, is, is to let you know Jesus is the one who puts you back together. And let's talk about when you're sitting in a circle with friends, and there's someone who says, there are a couple there, and they say, hey, we're, we're going to get a divorce. And so we're going to end the marriage, 
Uh, we've tried to fix it, and um, we've tried this for years and years, and, and we're, we're going to go ahead and split up. In that moment, you will realize, I don't have the power to fix that. As much as you want to, it doesn't mean you don't want to, it's just you don't have the power to fix that. When you sit with someone who says, I want to take my life, I want to live anymore, and you realize in the moment, I don't, I don't have the power to fix this. Or you sit with your spouse, and they tell you about their past, something they've never told you before, or your best friend, or your roommate, and you realize, I actually can't be the Good Samaritan. Only Christ can do this. But what he proclaims to the church is not what the Beatles proclaimed over the church. What he proclaims to the church is, go and do likewise. We get power from him. We have this example from him. We are a hospital. We are a hospital. I'll tell you this. Listen, I, if, we're gonna be, if we're not going to be genuine people and we're going to be the kind of priest that walk on the other side or the Levite that walks on the other side, I will resign tomorrow. I have no desire to be part of a church that does that. Everything in me says, I want to do likewise. And that's the, that's the next question that I have, is I go, who's the Good Samaritan in this story? And what does that mean for us? Like, what's our character? If we're playing guess who, guess who you are? We need to start at a place where we say, now you may say, I'm the religious person that's been ignoring and all this stuff, and, that, and, and that's to be taken care of by the Spirit and by community driving you to take care of people and to do likewise. But I would say, that's not where we, I, I like, that resembles a broken spirit, and we are the ones who are broken. We're the ones on the side of the road. This is all of us. So I just want you to breathe a breath of relief and just know all of us are beaten and bruised. The gospel is for those people, okay? Jesus said, I came for the sick, Okay? And he came for those people who are far from him and who are beaten and who, can't, who are exhausted with life and exhausted by doing it on their own. You have to let the ministry of the Holy Spirit through Christ and through Christ's people minister to you as a broken one. You have to do that. If you don't, you might be the person on the side of the road who looks and says, yeah, I'm like that on the inside, but I can't help that person. Every one of us is broken and beaten and having a really hard time with life. Every single one of us. We got these fears and these doubts and these thoughts and these actions that we go, every time I participate in that, I, I break. I like, I, and I can't tell anybody. And yeah, you can't tell anybody because you're afraid that they're going to pass you on the other side. But what if, what if there was a church that was like the Good Samaritan because they've been transformed by the Good Samaritan? There was a hospital that said like, hey, you can't hide the fact, like your leg got blown off, you can't hide that fact. And we're gonna teach you to walk again. And the way we can teach you to walk again is because we've been there too. You know the power when someone says me too? Have you ever experienced that? When you think you're the only one who feels like the only one, and, uh, and they say, no, I've been there too. You're like, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't know if this is selfish or what, I am so glad that you're a miserable person too. I'm really glad that this is you. And so what this means for us is like we, we actually need to be able to participate in that ministry of saying, I'm, like, I'm on the side of the road. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I can't put myself back together. I need the power of Christ to come in me, and I need the people of Christ to save me too and to help me. I need this to be a hospital. 
G.K. Chesterton had this, has a story where he would walk into church. He would walk, he'd go to church. He's visiting different churches, and he'd go with an umbrella. And he'd set an umbrella outside of the church, go inside of the church, and participate in church service, whatever type of service they were doing. And then he would walk out, and then he would grab his umbrella and walk on. So he would do this weird thing, have an umbrella, leave it there, walk in, walk out, grab the umbrella, until he went to a Catholic church. And in fact, he was a Catholic convert. And, um, and, and here's why. He goes to a Catholic church, he leaves his umbrella there, walks in, he has mass. He's leaving to grab his umbrella, and the umbrella's gone. Somebody stole it. And he said, this is the kind of church I can be part of, because there are broken people who steal things here, right? <laughs> there are people who are beaten up on the side of the road who need umbrellas, and they steal things. Now, let me, let me just tell you, I don't, I don't really want you stealing things, okay? I don't want you, I don't want you to take someone's stuff that's sitting next to you and say, aren't you glad you're here? I'm real broken, right? <laughs> don't do that. And if we have umbrellas and you need it, just take it, okay? We're not, we're not going to think less of you. If you steal someone's phone or wallet, it's a whole different story. So you, this, is, this church just gives away umbrellas, but, but other things you let them keep, okay? You follow me? I don't want you to be confused. The whole story representing what does this mean about us is that he said I can be part of a church where the people are beaten on the side of the road. But I can't be part of a church where they're all put together. And I would say the same thing. I just pray, I, even now I pray, God, let Discover Church in the Highlands be a hospital where we're ministered to by you and by each other. Because I don't want to be part of a church that's not like that. And so here's the next thing. What does that mean for us as a church? What does that mean for us? Well, it's got to make a difference to us personally. And if it doesn't make a difference personally because the church is made up of people, it's not going to make a difference across the board. Okay? It's got to impact us personally. So what I would say is when you, when you are living your life in community with the people who are here, people who call themselves Christ followers, people who say, hey, the Good Samaritan, I go and try to do likewise, be genuine, be authentic, and if they choose to be like the priest or the Levite, that's up to them. That's up to them. Those aren't the people that Jesus is saying are following him. But what they should do is have the ministry, doing the ministry of the Good Samaritan. That they should, and I'm, I'm like saying to us as a church, individually with the people in your life, do not be afraid when others are trying to live authentically. And what's going to happen is you're going to think thoughts like, I thought I knew this person. And the reality is, you may not have known the person authentically, but now you're getting to know the person. And I want you to lean on each other. I want you to be able to be authentic before one another. And I want you, you, to have faith that the people sitting next to you are your spiritual allies. Okay? These are the ones who are saying, okay, we did this whole I love my church thing. I, I I want to go and do likewise what the Good Samaritan did. And if you say, I can't do that, I can't go and do likewise. Now, I can't imagine someone actually saying that, um, that saying like, no, I just, I just have this judgment mechanism that's always going off in my mind, and I like it, right? I don't imagine, I know we all have that mechanism, but if you're going, and I love it, I love judging people. I would say with kindness, this is not the place for you. And we are going to be authentic regardless if you judge or not. And that's your brokenness. 
Your brokenness is you can't stop judging. That's your brokenness. And that's where you lay on the side of the road. And that's where Jesus needs to come and save you. You see, there's no such thing as a non-broken person. There's no such thing as a perfect church. And so for me, what I'm telling you is we have to live this way with one another. We have to look at Jesus and say, when we are scared when someone has confessed or admitted something to us, we need to look at Jesus and hear him say to us, go and do likewise. Give them what they need. Go and do likewise. We have to hear those words to him. Lisa, if, you, if the worship team will come up, I think we're going to have a really good time um, of prayer together and communion together. But, but I want to encourage you, be bold. So this is a, a message where if we said, I'm not going to respond in any way, shape, or form, it's going to be really confusing inside your soul because um, you're like, I really want to be bold, I want to be bold, but I don't know how. You do that by taking a next step, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But I want, I want to talk about when we assemble like this, okay? When we assemble like this, it's for a reason, but if this, is why, if this is all we do, and we don't actually become a hospital, we don't actually take care of the physically sick, the physically poor, and the spiritually, right? We don't hear when Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. If we don't take care of that, and if we don't participate with our brokenness, this doesn't matter. This is, this is just noise. And I, I want to tell it like this. I don't know, I'm not saying that now you're going to go to a Broncos game, okay? We know today was like not the best day for the Broncos. I get that. I'm not seeing a whole lot of orange. I do see orange. I'm proud of you, okay? I'm proud of you for wearing orange. I'm not saying that you're going to pay $200 for Broncos ticket this season, but in seasons past, you pay lots of, t- lots of money to go watch a Broncos game here in Denver. Now, when they are playing together, when they have a 20-second huddle, 30-second huddle, no one cares. Everybody's fine with that. They're, they're saying, that's fine. Get your huddle. Get organized. Get things together and, and all those things because we need you to go play the game really well. And so you may have however many thousands of people watching, and when they take a 20-second break to get a huddle, that's fine. But no one pays $200 for them to just huddle for the entire game and to say, okay, if we're, we're going to do this, and then you're just awesome at throwing the ball. Man, like, you're the best quarterback. It's not being said right now, but like, you're the best. And, and coach, you, you have the best plays, and, and we're just going to encourage each other and encourage. And the huddle goes on forever. The spectators would go, what are you doing? You're just huddling all the time. You're not ever doing what you're supposed to be doing. And this is the tone I feel Jesus speaks with is saying, you're, you're just doing your religious thing, but there are people who notice the brokenness, and I'm telling you to be like them, because Jesus is like them. So if we come together and we huddle, this is our 20 seconds together. Sunday nights at 5 are our 20 seconds together. And we huddle together and we say, hey, we're all broken. We need to get prayer together, and, 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 we, and we talk about ministering to the city, ministering to the neighborhood. But we never go do it. And we don't even do it with the people in our own faith community. It's no good. It's no good, and it's very confusing to the people who are watching. And so what I want to say to you is, make this huddle worth it, okay? Get prayer tonight. Take next steps. Text in questions. Take communion. Make this huddle worth it. So when you go out there, Everyone looks and says, yeah, they have their huddle, but man, it makes a whole lot of difference 
Your family notices. Your roommates notice. Your spouse notice. And they love when you go to the huddle time because that's when you get organized. The hospital can come together and say, okay, here's, where, here's where you need, what we need to do. Here's the staff, all this in place. But at, one, at some point, we have to start ministering to the sick, and we're all sick. We're all sick. John's going to come up and, and ask two questions. Where's my, my shepherd from a, a sheep herder? Goat herder. Goat herder. Yeah. Here's my, my goat herding friend. Um, there it is. And I don't know if you, cool. if you like trimmed your mustache today. It looks really good. Thank you kindly. Did a little work, yeah. You did a little <laughs> work? Oh, good. Honey, I'm going to, uh, next week, we're just going to have, don't shake your head. I haven't even told you what I'm going to do yet. I was going to say sideburns. No, okay. Go ahead, John. Go ahead. You guys, let's, you let's, guys look really clean. Thanks. <laughs> All right. couple questions. Number one, if the neighbor to love in the story is the compassionate, non-religious person, what does that mean about what our stance should be towards non-compassionate religious people. So I think really the focus of what the story is drawing out right here is he's trying to use this example where we have this um, lawyer. So he's trying to parse this out into like, what are my specific requirements? What bullet points do I need to hit to be considered X merciful, X loving, whatever it may be. And so what Jesus is doing is flipping this on its head and he's telling him like, it's, it's not these requirements, it's how you're applying this, you know, what is mercy on a case-by-case -case basis. And so this isn't necessarily like, um, okay, this religious person is not compassionate, so I should treat them like X. It's approaching the situation and going, how can I show mercy to this uncompassionate religious person as one case? How can I show mercy to this non-religious compassionate person? Each case is unique uh, that answers that question. Yeah, I think Jesus has this burning anger too towards religious people who are not compassionate. And I think that they're just, to their busy life, they're known by their title. And, um, and Jesus just kind of says, you're not participating in, in me, you know? So I would say participate in Jesus. And, and when people aren't, you be compassionate towards them, even, even in their religiosity. What's the next question? How do we balance tending the wounds of others with working to heal our own brokenness? Hmm. Um, yeah, it's a very good question. <laughs> so looking at that, like how do we balance those two? Um, you know, honestly, I don't know if there's a clean cut answer for being able to- Two hours balance. in prayer, two hours <laughs> binding wounds, two hours in prayer, it's not like that. I wish it was. Um, <laughs> Really, at this point, it's kind of asking yourself, like, creating those spaces in uh -huh. life where you see Jesus and, like, he's about to go to the cross. And at that point, he just steps aside and just prays and just continues to pray. Mm -hmm. And then the disciples are up there with him like, all right, we prayed enough? And you're like, nope, he's just going to keep on praying. Mm -hmm. And so he's taking that space to kind of check in with himself where that's a big event and he has to give out a lot. He's going to the cross. And I think taking from that example, it's like taking that space to kind of do a self-evaluation of like, do I have something to give in this moment or do I need to attend to my wound? Mm -hmm. that's, I think that's very wise. I think that's very wise. And the mustache brought wisdom to you tonight. <laughs> uh, I, I would say too, again, the idea that your wounds minister to someone else's wounds. And so when, for you to be able to say, I've been there or hey, I'm there, here's what's helping me. 
that's really powerful and authenticity across the board. So, Lord, may we, um, as we move into a time of wrestling with the faith and then we pray a prayer of grace over um, ourselves, would, would you just be with us? Meet us on the side of the road and help us to be the type of patients that say, let me show you where the Band-Aids are. I got a lot of them. I know where they're at. And let me show you where the IV is. Help us to be that church. God, the prayer of our heart tonight is we'd be that church. In Jesus' name.